0: Welcome to P is Less Than 0.05, the psychology podcast where we talk about everything psychology. My name's Guy, this is Tom. G'day, I'm Tom. Welcome to episode two. And today we have a very special guest with us, the amazingly talented, incredibly intelligent, longtime friend of the pod, Jade Butterworth. Do you want to say hi, Jade?
1: Hello, thank you for having me on.
0: That's an absolute pleasure. So today we're talking about sex work and specifically why sex work is stigmatized and the reason we have jade here is because one she's really smart and two she has actually done research into or involving sex workers so we'll go into the specifics of the paper but do you want to give a brief summary of what you studied
1: sure so i was researching the clients the male clients of female sex workers and the reason I was doing that is because I wanted to investigate men's mating strategies but the primary constraint on men's mating behavior is uh, women's mating preferences and so the only way to study that that I could see without getting too rapey um, was to pay the women because then what they want is largely irrelevant so we can see what men want when they can have pretty much anything
0: right so just touching on that a female sex worker reflects pure male desires because they're being paid so their interests aren't part of the equation that's right yeah very interesting so we'll go into more detail about what specifically jade found but we did have a couple of questions about sex work stigma first being what is it that makes sex work and sex workers so susceptible to stigma
1: there's so many reasons
0: <laughs> so many um, reasons one that uh,
1: comes up a lot is uh, paternity uncertainty so what i mean by that is that uh, in humans all fertilization is internal so there's no real way of a man ever knowing if it's actually his child And because of that, evolutionarily, men preferenced things like purity and faithfulness in their long-term partners. They prefer something else in their short-term partners, but in their long-term partners, they look for signs of, of faithfulness. And so when we stigmatize sex workers, it's because they don't exhibit those traits. So it's kind of like men almost controlling women and then women stigmatising sex workers as a way of competing with other females. So if I know that men don't like promiscuous women, all I have to do to make him not choose that girl is to point out that she is promiscuous and that I'm not.
2: Interesting. So is the uh, stigma coming pretty evenly from men and women or is it coming more from one of the sexes?
1: Um, There is a bit of literature to show that it's um, more obvious between women, but I, I think that... Most women will tell you that they experience it pretty equally from both men and women.
2: The the sex workers themselves. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, even not just sex workers, but even just promiscuous women, like women who aren't being paid.
2: Oh, so they might be getting slut-shamed from women in a more obvious manner, but they feel that men are more reluctant to engage them if they are promiscuous?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, maybe not uh, less willing to engage, but less willing to engage in certain ways so there's this thing called the Madonna-Whore Complex, which is where we kind of categorize women as either good and pure or bad and promiscuous. And so you might hear a man talking about a woman, one of the bad women, one of the promiscuous women, and saying, you know, that you wouldn't marry someone that everyone's had kind of thing.
2: Gotcha. So it's a, almost like a trade-off between, or a decision between engaging in a short-term versus a long-term
1: relationship. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I had another question. These days, you could argue that there are less barriers to entering the adult entertainment or the sex work industry. Would you say that has any effect on reducing or increasing stigma? Has that Would that change the stigma at all?
1: I think it would definitely be reducing stigma. A lot of the barriers were... Uh, legislation. So when you start to decriminalise or even legalise sex work, sex workers can start to advertise more publicly and we're always, we always shy away from things that we don't understand, things that aren't really familiar. So when people are advertising more publicly, we're getting exposed to it more and more so we become more comfortable with it.
0: Yeah, right. And I think it also probably increases the likelihood that you personally know someone In the sex work industry, whether it's someone who has an OnlyFans or um, started stripping or something like that.
1: I mean, you probably already did, but they just kept it a secret, whereas now they can be a bit more open about it.
2: On the sort of advertisement sort of stuff, uh, I found out that sex work is legal in our home state. So having brothels is legal where we are, but there's heavy restrictions on how they can advertise them. And so a lot of the times these buildings will be sort of plain, unassuming looking places. And so you touched on how that wouldn't be too helpful for alleviating sort of stigma, but is there a reason why there's heavy restrictions placed on sex work? And do you guys have any thoughts on that legislation?
1: The legislation gets even more complicated because you're right, you can have a licensed brothel, um, but that's not quite the same as sex work. Um, So sex work has been decriminalised here. So anyone can work as an independent sex worker. Um, But it's very important that they don't cross over into what would constitute a brothel. So, um, for instance, here in Queensland, two sex workers cannot uh, work on the same booking. They can't see the same client at the same time. Um, They can't even tell each other what hotel they're working in or share a driver because then that, that would cross over into working in an unlicensed brothel if there's more than one. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. And no, I'm not really sure why the legislation is so complicated and why certain restrictions are still in place, but not others.
2: Yeah. Cause I was thinking about another sort of some, like something that's seen as debaucherous, you know, just drugs and alcohol and like cigarettes being, you know, hidden behind the, you know, what are they called? The little the roll down door. <laughs> yeah. The little ro- roll the door. Packaging is very plain and has to have like all these sort of negative things like on it. And that's for a health reason. But it seems that sex work is just has the same restrictions placed on it just because sex is taboo. But there's no sort of like you know health hazards and like there's STDs that are involved, but there's also you know protection that I'm sure has to be used in all of these legal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So they can't engage in any sexual activities without the use of prophylactics, so that that risk of harm in the form of STIs is. Massively reduced in sex work, you're far more likely to contract an STI from a casual sex partner than a commercial one. Mm. But that, of course, didn't used to be the case. So it is possible that our, you know, our moral aversion to sex work stemmed from the risk of spreading STIs.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, that would make sense, especially before there were prophylactics. That does raise a really interesting point about the risk because... You could argue that using a sex, going and seeing a sex worker or being a sex worker could be stigmatized because you have an increased risk of an SED. But once you totally remove that, which it sounds like that is the case, that your your risk is actually higher with just casual sex partners, it means that the stigma is just coming from question mark.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to outlearn that when you've had it kind of drilled into your psyche for so long. And I... I don't think that um, the general public would really think that sex workers are getting tested every eight weeks or however often they're choosing to.
0: Yeah. It does beg the question then, what is it? (laughs) It's such an interesting topic because I know I've said this to you both a few times, but when I talk to someone about sex work, I can never predict how they'll feel about it. And I have people who I know who are very left-leaning, very liberal have liberal ideas about sex and relationships and then disparaging of sex work and they're on the side that stigmatizes it
1: it's very strange are they the same people that would have a problem with casual sex or is it just commercial sex
0: i think there is
2: some crossover i've also seen like people who are very sex positive who will be so down with casual sex but will also be anti-sex work because they just see it as an exploitative industry, full stop. And women who are choosing to do sex work, under no sort of circumstances is it free from any form of exploitation, even if like it just ranges from degree of exploitation and like that's their views. Not- as
1: opposed to what? What industry is not... Yeah. Like
2: exchanging your work for money. It's true. It's a good, it's a good point. I
1: don't even know what sex work is, to be honest. Like when, when is it sex work and when is it casual sex? What constitutes payment? Does it have to be a fee per minute or can it be, what about sugar babies who get a weekly allowance for undefined number of visits or what about, you know, you're buying a girl drinks all night at the bar? Or what about housewives, trophy wives that are getting...
2: Or literally any relationship where there's <laughs> some exchange of monetary yeah. resources for sex. Or even time resources. <laughs> yeah, exactly, or, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. When does that transaction become sex work?
2: I think people don't see that as sex work, but it is. there is an exchange going on there. I think it's when people see the... Because like seeing money go across for the um, agreed upon sex act is like much more salient than I'm going out to dinner tonight and I'm buying this girl dinner and drinks in the hope that she'll give me sex, you know, mm. because it's not a sort of exchange that's put out there in the open. I think people don't see that as sex work, but it's a really good point. Absolutely. That you I watched yeah. a film
1: recently where an ex addict was kind of discussing her behavior. And she, she said that she'd never prostituted herself out because she'd never had sex for money. But she had had sex for drugs and so she wasn't sure where to draw that line. And it's like, does that, does that count? If you're paid... it's
2: almost like you're cutting out the middleman, hey? Right. Because she may have, may have just had sex to get money to buy drugs but now she's just having sex to get drugs. Exactly. And almost just being more efficient with it. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. Now we're touching on the big philosophical <laughs> question. What is sex work itself?
0: <laughs> yeah. Just to change tact a little bit, what role do you think religion and the church play in sex work yeah. they're a pretty dominant social force so they set a lot about social standards and things yeah. around relationships
1: i can't see any good reason that any religion should prohibit commercial sex but not casual sex like i know that premarital sex is seen as a sin in many religions but i don't know if that sin is greater if there's an exchange of currency or resources
0: right so sex work is stigmatized by the church by virtue of it involving sex and it's not the fact that it's sex work it's just that there's they condemn sex of any sort
1: as far as i know
0: yeah that tracks what do you think tom
2: yeah it's interesting i don't know if like the bible like we'll take christianity for example i don't know if the bible like sort of sets out rules to certain degrees like you know like so sex before marriage is bad but paying for sex is even worse. I think it's just like blanket statements like you don't have sex unless you're married. Hmm. So And
1: procreating.
2: Exactly. But I do have a suspicion that despite the Bible not sort of explicitly stating these things that the church probably would have a more unfavorable view of uh, sex work compared to casual sex just because of like societal norms. I think they would sort of abide by a lot of the sort of social norms
0: that we abide by as well yeah there is one interesting indulge me while i go on a journey but (laughs) there is one link between religion and sex work that i find really interesting so there's one society that um, i found when i was looking into this i'm sure there are others but there was one in particular where sex work was somewhat accepted and this is ancient greece Uh where there was a state-owned brothel And there was a form of sex work, these uh, usually women called hetera, that was similar to geisha, where people paid for their companionship rather than um, explicitly sex. And they were highly educated, and it's not unreasonable to think someone would see one of these people and think, that's what I want to do when I grow up.
1: That sounds like a lot of modern-day sex workers. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. The
2: fact that you said it was state-owned is interesting, because it, like, maybe shows that dominant religious norms and societal norms co-vary with each other. Because it wasn't like privately owned, it was like state owned. So exactly, yeah. the whole
0: society, like the whole of ancient Greece was probably like, this is more or less fine, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if we can tax it, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's an interesting point because there's a fable from that time of a young Hippolytus who uh, wasn't interested in sex at all. He just wanted to stay at home and play RuneScape. And Aphrodite, the god of love and desire, was so angered by this that she had him killed. So not only was sex not discouraged <laughs> by ancient Greek religion, it was actually actively encouraged. And at the same time, we have a society where sex work is somewhat accepted. So
1: Great. Let's execute all the men that don't consume sex work.
0: <laughs> yeah, Yep. Exactly. That's a good message to take away from this episode. (laughs) (laughs) We might have new hosts next week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it is interesting, that link between religion and sex, because I think what you said about religion being restrictive is 100% right. Something I came across when I was reading was a quote from Buddha that says, it were better for you, foolish man, that your male organ should enter the mouth of a terrible and poisonous snake than it should enter a woman.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: He was so flat out against sex. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: Or oral sex by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. or- oral sex
2: is an interesting one, hey. Like not too long ago was it like fully condemnable, like socially. Like it was it was sort of seen as um analogous to how sodomy would have been seen like 20 years ago because um, really? i'm pretty sure sodomy was illegal in Queensland only up until like 2016 don't quote me on that but i i swear i read something in the in the news like when i was in uh, 12th grade about sodomy becoming illegal
1: that's so interesting yeah. especially when you like juxtapose that with how many you know virgins there are still in the world because they've only had anal sex or oral sex and it doesn't count unless it's vaginal
2: it's just totally arbitrary like what what
0: is fine and like what's not
1: when is it moral
0: (laughs) there was a survey in the 90s in a South American country where they asked heterosexual young men what kind of sex they were engaging in and 40% of them said they were engaging exclusively in anal sex rather than vaginal sex and it was because vaginal sex makes you not You lose your purity Wow Yeah, yeah, it is interesting what we consider sex and what we consider not sex And then, of course, before marriage, oral sex is totally fine But once you're married, if you have oral sex with someone who's not your wife It's completely unacceptable
1: Suddenly it counts as sex Yeah, suddenly
0: it is (laughs) sex Do you think the big forces, like,
2: unbeknownst to everyone, are internal gestation And um, paternal uncertainty mixed with, like, female Intersexual competition, like driving all of these like weird sexual proclivities and prescriptions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as well as the one we talked about, like the moral foundation of of cleanliness or purity. It's um there's some work by Jonathan Haidt yep. on the six moral foundations, and when you look at them, they're quite different. Whether you ask like if you ask a liberal person or a conservative to rank them. Um, so liberals will put some of the other ones like not harming others, like care for others and, and loyalty and things like that. They'll value them a lot. Um, and they won't really value purity as a moral foundation much. And then conservatives, they all kind of converge and they value them equally. Wow. Yeah.
2: Very interesting. That probably that checks out as well in my experience with liberals and conservatives, yeah. I
1: feel. Yeah. Hmm.
0: What is one thing that stood out when you were doing this research because one thing i find really interesting is i have very little contact with sex workers and i think the average person would also probably be in, in that case or they they could but they might not know about it but in any case they have very little opportunity to talk to sex workers sure can you talk a bit about that experience of working with sex workers in a research setting yeah. or just in general yeah
1: absolutely i think when the There were two things that really stood out. The first was that the women were all like super, super smart, really educated, really business savvy. Like they weren't, they didn't feel like they were being exploited at all. Like they were choosing to engage in sex work because it was such fast money. And I should preface this by saying that the women that I interviewed were charging a minimum of $600 an hour for their most basic service. So this is like top of the tier sex workers, not brothel workers or street workers, street walkers, sorry so yeah just speak like these incredibly well-spoken super smart women and the second thing that stood out was the range of clients like the types of men that they were describing when they described their clients because it was just everyone like often their youngest client would be 18 years old and their oldest would be 75 and everything between you know someone who worked at cash converters and would save up their money all month to see a sex worker one time to you know multi-millionaires that were taking them overseas for weeks at a time. Interesting. Yeah.
2: I was going to ask about that. I was going to ask if there's personality characteristics that are associated with Johns on average and sex workers on average, but it sounds like it's basically a bit of everyone, a bit of everything. Yeah,
1: there there were personality characteristics associated with the type of experience that they were looking for. Yeah. So things like, you know, how kind they were to the sex worker, how much care they showed for them how much they wanted to engage in banter and small talk. Those things were associated with whether they wanted like a girlfriendy type experience or like a variety-filled porn star kind of experience, but not so much traits associated with just seeing a sex worker.
2: Gotcha, yeah. And was that moderated by whether they were already in a relationship or not, whether they wanted to see... I uh, have the girlfriend experience or the porn star experience? Yeah. Did you find so that, that
1: um, So we're looking into dual mating strategy and whether men were seeking um, a pair bonding relationshipy type experience or variety seeking, so that porn star experience. Um, and we found that men did want both of those things and that their preference for one could be predicted by fulfillment of the other so the married guys who already have their pair bonding relationship at home wanted a porn starry variety experience with their sex worker whereas the single guys primarily wanted a relationshipy experience
0: wow so you're saying when you control for the women's preferences Mm -hmm. men want it all basically
1: that's right yeah and up until now a lot of the research suggested that Uh, when unconstrained by women's preferences men have a preference for variety but a lot of those studies were using infidelity as an indicator of variety seeking and in cases of infidelity you can almost assume that any relationship or pair bonding needs have already been fulfilled
0: oh that is interesting you want
1: to eat their cake and have it too
0: Mm. so it could be anyone it
1: could well maybe i mean my study looked at very expensive sex workers Which, you know, like I said, there were some clients who were saving up all month just to spend a little bit of time with these women. But yes, it does mean that I didn't get to look at the men who are seeing cheaper sex workers. Um, And obviously I wasn't looking at men who don't see sex workers at all. But that doesn't seem to be many men. There was like an Australian survey uh, a few years back now that found like 23%. Of Australian men admitted to having seen a full service sex worker. Yeah,
2: you mentioned this and this absolutely blew my mind because <laughs> that means that we would know. I don't know anyone who's told me that they've seen a sex worker, but I would definitely, with that base statistic, I would definitely know many men who have seen a sex worker. And so totally. would you, guy. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think that number itself is probably even underreported. True, because, because there would be a
2: reporting bias there, like yeah. a
1: social
0: desirability sort of.
1: Absolutely. And a lot of married men, like 50% of the clients that I looked at in my study were married
0: so you can assume they're not included in that statistic
1: yeah Mm. well maybe they might have admitted to it but a lot of men would hide it i think there's a real like especially around younger men like a weird sense of shame about having to pay for sex like they don't quite view it as choosing to pay for sex the same way that the older clients do
2: that'd probably be because like younger men are not only like if they have more time on average and more flexibility so they feel like they should be able to go out and find a a woman but also because you know they're seeing all their friends do it because a lot of casual sex is happening amongst young people
1: and And so I think they just measure sex differently to older men like older men they want to have sex and they want to enjoy um, companionship with a woman whereas younger men are also motivated by kind of validating their own virility like they want to know or prove to themselves or prove to their friends that they can pick up a woman anecdotally that makes total sense as well because
2: like (laughs) in high school such like a huge bragging right about when different people lost their virginities which wasn't really (laughs) happening amongst the girls in the in the cohort it's definitely a sort of uh young boy type trait to boast about your sexual prowess
1: absolutely once your ego gets involved and it seems to disappear in the later years. I wonder
2: if that sort of feeds into like women ashamed for being promiscuous, whereas, whereas men aren't shamed as much. Yeah. And you were talking about how women are shamed by men and women for a couple of different reasons. Yeah. And maybe men aren't subject to that sort of shame, but it's almost encouraged to sort of tell people about your sexual prowess because one, it may signal to women that you're a quality mate because you've other women have chosen you and chosen yeah. to have sex with you. And for other men, if you can display, display that, you sort of be like, I'm status. like, status. Exactly, exactly. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah. Would you say, in your experience talking to sex workers, would you say it's getting better? The stigma surrounding, because sex work is pretty much universally stigmatized. Like Tom was saying before, we have legal avenues to do sex work in our home state, but you can't advertise. So I would consider that a form of stigma.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, you you can advertise that you are a sex worker yeah, but you can't advertise the explicit services that you provide here in Queensland anyway but that varies state to state um, but I do think that the, stig- the stigma is improving even just over the last decade mm. um, and I think a lot of that is thanks to media like we have singers rappers um advertising their previous work in sex work like cardi b is a great example mm. we've got shows now that are like glamorizing strip clubs and and full service sex work and so i'm just seeing myself on my own social media that more and more sex workers are starting to kind of promote that part of their life
2: are you referring to like only fans or or did you mean like more
1: so only fan, like cam girls mm. strip clubs full service sex workers mm. yeah the full spectrum of sex work mm. i think we forget that as well that there is a real spectrum of sex work and we think about sex workers as as escorts as full service sex workers and when as a man you sit here and say i've never consumed sex work you forget about all those bucks parties you went to at the strip club totally. or all of those times you watched porn
2: totally and also like yeah. what you were saying how it's a spectrum where it is like at the one one extreme it's i'm giving you money for sex but on all the way on the other end it's where it gets a little bit murky where you're taking a girl out on a date and you're paying for the dinner like you were saying before and then even like further along at the end is like we're married but (laughs) um (laughs) you know i'm giving you lots of money because i want lots of sex (laughs) you know what i mean absolutely it
0: is a huge spectrum yeah i had one more question actually two more questions but they're kind of the same question some people say sex work is stigmatized for a reason that sex work should be stigmatized what would you say to those people
1: i I mean i would ask them why Mm. another thing i noticed when talking to these women is that sex workers can't get income protection insurance and it puzzled me for the longest time i was like what is it about sex work that prohibits Income protection is it you know that it might be dangerous that they can get assaulted at work and then they're out of work but there's a lot of free agent like security guards that are putting themselves in danger and they can get income protection and I yeah I can't get to the bottom of it of what it might be that prohibits sex workers from getting income protection.
2: It's interesting because the like best analogy I can think of is tradespeople who are also sort of selling their body. Mm. Um, to get income and they have income protection, you know, like they, yeah. they're they using their body to make money yeah, in the same way that sex workers are. Yeah. So I, I agree with yeah. you. I don't really know what the...
1: Even models, like models that have to... Like lingerie models, they're mm. taking their clothes off, they can get income protection. Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so it's like at some point on the, that spectrum of sex work, they're cutting off income protection.
1: Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I'm, I, I can't figure out why.
0: Yeah, it's one of the many awful reasons why um sex work should not be stigmatized i heard an argument the other day that because it is stigmatized universally then maybe there's what's the saying The the knowledge of the crowd oh wisdom of of the crowd crowd. (laughs) wisdom of the crowd wisdom of the commons but until very recently in our history a lot of races were separated by law pretty much universally. So I guess I would say to those people, and you might agree with this, that sometimes what everyone does is not the right thing. (laughs) And in fact, a lot of the time it can be the wrong thing.
1: And I think as well, a lot of the people that are condemning or stigmatizing sex work are the people who are consuming it. Right. I mean, the people that are enforcing this kind of legislation, I, I'm not a gambling man, but if I was, I would say that they they're have in the their one own in sex four. workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That's the same with um, legalization of same-sex marriage. Like, men who hold the most homophobic attitudes are the most likely to be closeted gays okay. or closeted bisexuals, which is super interesting. Like, The men who hold the most liberal attitudes about homosexuality are either openly gay or just openly straight. You know, they're just straight yeah. and they have... No yeah. issue with it. So a lot of the pushback comes from
0: men who um, are a bit insecure about their sexuality. Wow. Yeah. Mm. There is one area where I look at and I think, okay, that kind of makes sense. But based on what you've said today, it's just kind of been blown out of the water, which is sex work is or can be somewhat dangerous because sex workers can be alone in a room with someone who they don't know and who is actively trying to protect their own identity.
1: Yeah. I um, One of the reasons that we set our, our cutoff at $600 per hour is so that we were unlikely to speak to women who had really negative experiences. But I did speak to one who did, and we ended up having to cut her from the study because she didn't meet the criteria. And the stories that she told me about having, you know, not getting paid or having a gun pulled on her, like it can be quite a dangerous industry, but so can dating.
2: So what is it about um, high-end sex work that makes it more safe? Is it just that crime and low... SES co-vary together
1: potentially yes Um, a lot of these women as well they were only working business hours they wouldn't take late night bookings or weekend bookings when their clients are likely to be under the influence of drugs or alcohol and yes I think they had a bit more
2: rapport building as well
1: well they definitely had really good screening like the way like they would judge the way a client would message them as whether or not that client was safe or not they would take direct bank transfer deposits so that they would have a client's details. Or if that wasn't an option, they would take photos of the client's um, identification. Um, And so those kind of screening processes, anyone who potentially wanted to hurt them wouldn't want to give them their identity. Mm. Yeah, and I don't, from what I've heard, I don't think the screening processes are always as strict in, say, brothels. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. That was an interesting point you raised about dating is, is dangerous.
1: Absolutely. Date rape all the time.
0: Yeah. And in terms of professions, I think it's hard to say whether sex work is as reported as other professions, but cutting down trees is the most dangerous profession. And I don't think that it, it wow. suffers the same kind of stigma that sex work does.
1: No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. I just had
2: a thought that maybe it, like just sex in general is taboo if it's in the absence of love you know like there's a lot of sort of um like in in the west not so much but like casual sex is still like on average globally yeah pretty frowned upon and taboo so like if there's if it's an exchange just for pleasure or just for money in the complete absence of love it's probably frowned upon
1: Absolutely. Sexuality should always be chaperoned by love. Mm. So it's moral. And I wonder how much of that is coming from women's fear that if casual sex or commercial sex is endorsed, that their husbands might seek it out. And if they can stigmatize it, maybe they won't. Yeah. That's a good point. But one thing that a lot of these sex workers said is that their married clients would choose to engage sex workers rather than have an affair because that way no feelings were getting involved. No one was falling Mm. in love. There was no risk to the marriage other than the fact that they were cheating sexually.
2: Yeah, it's like that evolved jealousy sort of dichotomy that they choose. Absolutely, sexual
1: jealousy or emotional jealousy.
2: Yeah, where women are hurt but less hurt by sexual infidelity than emotional infidelity and men are... Hurt. They care
1: more about sexual infidelity than than emotional. emotional. Although
2: both sexes still care about both quite highly. It's just when you're forced to choose, that sort of pattern emerges.
1: There's some great evolutionary stories behind why that's the case. Yeah. So women, we're supposed to get more jealous of romantic or emotional infidelity because that is a threat to our union. That's a threat to you giving me your resources, whereas you having sex with other women is really just the potential for you to impregnate other women but not necessarily leave our union whereas you worrying about my emotional infidelity is not really a threat to your, your paternity yeah but me my sexual infidelity then you don't know if it's your child that you're donating your resources exactly. to
2: exactly yeah it sort of opens up the arena for cuckoldry and <laughs> all that sort of like um, wasted sneaky walrus. time and effort what? the sneaky walrus
1: Sneaky <laughs> you know the,
0: there's a mating strategy in walruses where because it's a paternal society where there's a, a few women and one man who impregnates all of the women there's a mating strategy where another male walrus will come up when no one's looking and sneak into the, the harem and impregnate a woman and then run away before anyone detects it.
1: That happens in a lot of species. There's like fish um, that can change their colouring yeah. to look like a female on one side so that the men aren't threatened by it, but stay looking like a male on the other side to advertise itself to the female fish. So,
2: yeah, yeah. There's so much like sexual deception. I think even among orangutans, like there's some males that don't get these secondary sexual characteristics to the extent that um sort of alpha males usually do. And then so they don't really resemble much of a threat but they come in and they actually rape the some of the women yeah wow yeah
0: i think one of you did raise the point that this is we are talking about the west and a lot of sex work and our experience with sex work is based on the west but i don't think it's a stretch to say that the west is probably getting pretty close to sexual enlightenment in comparison with other countries Yeah, up until the 80s in the United Arab Emirates, it was common for affluent families not to want their daughter, sorry, not to want their son to marry a woman if that woman had been seen by people outside of her immediate family. Wow. Yeah. So in terms of of sexual restriction, I think it's pretty universal. And I don't know if that would um also reflect on sex work stigma but it would be hard to see how it didn't
2: yeah i'd love to see sort of uh, like statistics that map that show any relationship between all this all these birth controls coming on the scene and sort of sexual enlightenment because i think a lot of the sexual aversion would be like one variable would be you know protecting yourself against disease or having like disease avoidance sort mm-hmm. of mechanisms but you know the base rates for stis and stds are so like low in the west compared to other countries that that would definitely be a factor, mm. I think.
0: Mm. Mm. All right, so that's all the questions we had. I just had, I wanted to go through the most recent evidence just to see where the field is up to with stigma. And we went through your paper, Jade, which was really great. Did you have anything else you wanted to add about
1: your paper? Um, I'm not sure we really discussed stigma much in my paper yeah. or at all.
0: Yeah, Yeah. so it was primarily about dual mating. Yeah, strategies. yeah, mm. and
1: the... Um, using sex workers was just a way to study men on their own isolated from women
0: yeah great and so we've spoken a lot about stigma but we haven't really talked about why it should be avoided and the effect that it has on people so there was one study that we wanted to talk about so this is a study by mccleary gaddy and james and this is from 2022 They were looking at the relationship between skin tone and life satisfaction and they were looking at whether it's mediated by stigma consciousness. What stigma consciousness is, is being constantly reminded that you're in a stigmatized group, regardless of how stigmatized you actually are. So they argued that people who were being constantly reminded of their stigma would have worse life satisfaction. It was 780 self-identified African-Americans with an average age of 38. They did it on Qualtrics, which Tom and I have spoken about before, but they paid the participants the equivalent to the minimum wage. This is a US study, so it's not a great deal of money, but it is equivalent to doing an hour's worth of work. One interesting thing before we go into the what they found was the average income of this these 780 people was $44,500. The average income of the US for the same year, this is 2022, was $54,132. So, leaving that aside, we're seeing a group of people who uh, I self-identify as African-American who are on average earning less than the average American cohort. But they ask questions like, how often do you think about your race when you interact with white Americans and some other questions derived from this really well, well-researched scale? So what do you guys think they found? What would you say would be your impression? Would there be a relationship between stigma consciousness and life satisfaction?
1: I think so. I'm going
0: to say yes. Yeah. I think... But I'm not a betting
1: man. Well, when we think about stigma and being stigmatized, often what pops into our head is casual conversations, but... People that are stigmatizing these groups are also the people that are making decisions about you getting a home loan, you getting health care. Like, yeah, stigma is a very pervasive thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you're both 100% right. Perhaps unsurprisingly, a darker skin tone led to a greater fear of being stereotyped. This is a pretty much direct reflection of the finding that a darker skin tone Leads to to you being treated poorly, treated more poorly. As your skin tone gets darker, education outcomes become poorer, income becomes poorer. There is a direct relationship between skin tone and life outcomes in general. And another thing that they found, that these authors found, was that the uh, greater fear of being stereotyped did in fact lead to a lower life satisfaction. So the darker someone's skin tone got the more... Um, The lower life satisfaction they had, and this was irrespective of whether they
2: actually experienced discrimination or not. Yes. Yes. This is so.
0: This is their just their fear of being stereotyped is causing lower is causing their life lower life satisfaction. Mm. So their fear is not their fear represents reality because the darker your skin tone Mm. is, the more likely you are actually. But it's almost like social contagion where like you don't actually have to experience it yourself, but
2: being darker and like seeing how um, dark people are treated on average. Yeah. Causing um, lower life satisfaction. Yes.
1: I mean, that's assuming yeah. that their fear is stemming from observation and not or experience. Yes. Yeah.
2: But if it was experience, wouldn't it, wouldn't they be in the camp? It of, would be a confound. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause these are people who haven't right. yeah, yeah, experienced yeah. any, but which sort of shows how, because I, I often see uh like debates going on between, you know, people are saying but you've experienced nothing yourself and they'll be like I admit that but I'm like still etc 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 trying to and it sort of shows that like stigma itself is enough to you know cause negative consequences for groups that are stigmatized yeah Yeah. irrespective
0: of that lived experience there was an interesting effect that they found in the study as well do you want to hear about it yes Yes. let me tell you about it The researchers found that those who experienced stereotype fear more had lower psychological distress. Why? That is it is, from resilience, like a buffering effect? That is a great question, and that is one of the reasons that they said that it could, they could be protected from these stereotypes because they experienced them so much. They've developed a psychological buffer that protects them from these negative stereotypes, which is just awful. But the researchers, their explanation, that was pretty much it. That when someone experiences racism, they can have two responses. One is, this person who's being racist to me is right. Hmm. Or the other is, that person is a racist. And they're two very different responses because one is a reflection of yourself and the other is a reflection of
1: the other person. Mm.
0: And they're saying that the more someone experiences racism, the more their response comes the latter, where they learn that their experience of racism is not a reflection of them, but rather of the person just being shitty and having terrible beliefs and opinions. I suppose because if you take
2: the average person and they're experiencing sort of... um, racial discrimination constantly but they have all this evidence to suggest that they're not a terrible person because they may you know have great relationships with their friends family a good job and whatnot then they can start being like all right well these things can't you know must not be compatible with one
1: another why would that not apply to people who experience less racism it seems almost counterintuitive that the more you experience the more you can reject it as not a reflection of yourself because, like we were saying, wisdom of the crowd, at what point do you start to believe that it's not just one or two racists and start to believe that there is something inherently wrong with you just because of the color of your skin?
0: Yeah, I think the clinical psychologists, when they look at this problem, because this isn't the, these aren't the first people to find this. Wow. This is a, a, a well-researched phenomenon. And the clinical psychologists who look into this say that the people who experience a lot of racism are basically given no choice. They either have to develop these wow. these strong psychological barriers or fall into despair, basically.
1: That's inspiring and terrifying at the same yeah. time. Yeah. So what you're saying is that we can improve sex workers' mental health if we just stigmatize them Continue. some more. Continue, yeah. yeah, ramp it up. Excellent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, stigma is... Terrible! It's um, incredibly awful for you. It leads to just blanket bad outcomes. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> was there anything else you wanted to say to to our loving audience of me and Tom's mums?
2: At the moment, it's just Guy's mum. I still haven't got over my voice yet.
1: <laughs> Hi, Guy's mum. <laughs> Check your biases about sex workers
0: and increase the stigma no just joking <laughs> <laughs> um, great so if people want to contact Jade we'll put yes. a link to Jade's email in the show description along with any references to any papers we've talked about here if you want to get in contact with us we actually have a Twitter now Ooh. which what's the handle Tom um, we'll put that we'll in, put the a link in the as description as well <laughs> and it'll be really good Um if and we you, have merch coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> merch coming in 2024. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, um, write a message in the sky. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thanks.
2: This is the good thing about not having a live podcast.